Hello, and welcome to Create You, the personal growth and development podcast that will help you break through to better results in your life, work, and relationships. I'm your host, Jeremy Flagg, and thank you for joining me. Do you have a dream in your heart that you want to fulfill? Have you come up against any opposition in your life that has you second-guessing whether or not you'll be able to make it happen? If so, then my guest today will inspire you to transform those challenges into opportunities. I'm joined today by my very special guest and friend of over 14 years, Saiti Demirkova. Saiti grew up in communist Bulgaria and arrived in America at the age of 19 with only $100 and only knowing 100 words of English. Since then, she's developed her passion for helping people become their best into a platform with worldwide reach. As a motivational speaker and author of four books, she helps people discover their God-given power and optimize their true potential. And as the founder and CEO of her nonprofit organization, Changing a Generation, she is dedicated to the social and spiritual empowerment of orphans, children, and youth in Bulgaria, Ghana, and Uganda. I'm very excited to introduce you to her today and hope you find some inspiration in her story that gives you the push you need to make your own dreams come true, no matter the size. Have fun listening to our conversation and be sure to come over to jeremyflag.com slash episode 40 and leave your comments in the show notes after you've had a chance to listen. So without further ado, enjoy my interview with Satan. Welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Jeremy Flagg, welcoming you back to another episode of Create You. Hey, I'm really excited today to have as a special guest on the podcast, my friend, author, speaker, and CEO and founder of nonprofit organization, Changing a Generation, ready to write her fifth book, one of my favorite people of all time. Her name is Saitsi Demirkova. Please welcome Saitsi to the show. Jeremy, thank you so much for having me today. It's a privilege. Oh, I am thrilled. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, in a, all of our time together as friends, we've been friends for how long now? Uh, what, 15, uh, 16 probably years? Over, like? Probably about 15 years. Yeah, yeah. So I've, we've, we've both seen each other go through lots of exciting uh, twists and turns and changes and, uh, and breakdowns and breakthroughs and all kinds of cool stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So Part I thought you'd be uh, uh, excited to introduce you to everybody here on the show because uh, you know of, you're one of the most resilient um, people I know. I mean, it doesn't matter what life throws at you; you seem to find a way to navigate through it, around it, over it, under it. You find a way <laughs> through, and that is what Absolutely. one of the things I admire most about you. So. Um, you know, people are already hearing your accent, so why don't you give them like a tiny background about your story and where you came from, and then we're going to talk a little bit about your new idea, which you're making into your fifth book, Motivated by the Impossible. So give us a, a tiny overview of your story and how it began and how you ended up being this uh, person who travels and speaks and sends this message out to everyone and uh, how you founded Changing a Generation. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much for that. 
first of all, I am from Bulgaria. I grew up under communism for 16 years. I saw the fall of communist regime in Bulgaria in 1989. And then shortly after, two years later, I had the opportunity to come to the United States. I was the first person in my entire family, all of my relatives, to ever leave the country and live abroad. And in those days, it seemed like a huge impossibility, which it was. And through a series, I would say, of miracles, I learned English in about a month and a half. And I got a visa. And I showed up in the United States on December 5th, 1994, by myself, ready to start college here. I got accepted into a uh, college in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I lived for the first six years of my stay in the United States. And in the meantime, by the time I turned 20, I thought I have no time to waste. I have to start a nonprofit and start helping Bulgaria and the orphan children in my country so that um, they can have a better life. Because I believed if I have been empowered and given this platform and responsibility to be here in the United States, that I have also um, an obligation and a responsibility. And really, I knew it was a purpose, a higher purpose in my life to help other people who are less fortunate than me. So wow. I became a voice for literally children who have no voice to speak for themselves. I started with just $1 a month supporting one orphan at age 1920, because I didn't really have any money at that time. I arrived with $100 into the United States, yeah. and I had to really start from scratch. But um, through that, um, a few years later, we established a nonprofit organization called Changing a Generation. We've had it now for 20 years, and we have almost a 1,000 children that uh, come to our programs in Bulgaria, Ghana, and Uganda. Wow. So that's a really that's the in a really nutshell. really brief history, right? Yes, very brief. Wow. But um, yes, so it has been an incredible journey of seeing how you don't have to have millions of dollars to start something. You have to start with with what in your hand, and using what's in your hand to benefit somebody else will always be multiplied. If we use it just for ourselves, obviously. I always look at it as a seed. If you eat your own seed, you're never going to see it multiplied. But if you plant it, and if you plant it in the ground of other people's lives, it will come to pass. It will be multiplied. And um, I am a believer. I am um, a follower of Christ, and I believe in um, the God principles that he has given us to abide in. And therefore, I have followed those all my life, and I have never seen God fail me in any of those decisions or the new things that we have branched out and done throughout the years. It has always been an incredible journey. Wow. Not easy, but it has been rewarding at the end. Wow. And I, you know, I have, I know that my listeners have lots of questions. I can like hear them in, in their heads right now. So I'm going to follow some lines of questions that I think are going to help unfold your story a bit more and help us see that there's, you know, you know, I believe that success leaves clues and I know that you do too. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, when people set out on a journey to change their world and they're successful, we should pay attention. Right. 
And mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you're doing yes. that. And that's what I think people should appreciate most about you is that you do start with what you have. You don't wait. And uh, if you're you're a very special person in the I you know the I the the time it takes from idea to implementation in your world is very short uh, compared to other people's worlds, and maybe that's some of the reason why we aren't always successful because we uh, analyze it too much and then we don't do it. And you have the gift mm-hmm. of, of of taking an idea and putting it into action quickly. So first mm-hmm. question I think is a big one. Um, you know, life in Bulgaria when you're growing up doesn't seem to have uh, pushed you in the direction of, <laughs> of, you know, flying alone to the United States for, you know, college, for university, for, uh, you know, for seminary. And then, you know, being alone here without family, but pushing forward because you have this internal fire. So... Explain what it's like when you're stepping out into your your calling, your purpose, your mission, and uh, what was it like at home for you? Did uh, did people first of all did people in Bulgaria did they applaud your effort to go abroad, uh, or did you get some you know some backlash for that? Yeah, very good questions. Um, so first of all, under communism, you have no dreams, you have no vision for your own life. Everything is dictated by a government that is really against you. And you know that growing up, nobody trusted anybody. It was pure darkness. And you don't know you live in darkness until you actually are exposed to light. And wow. because of it, Nobody had any purpose, any goals. A lot of people were committing suicide. They were living a very depressed life. And just as a background, back in those days, we had no exposure to the outside world. I had no idea what's going on in any other country. The only programs we had is one channel that really aired news from Russia and Bulgaria and a couple of other countries that were allies under the communist government. So we had no understanding that anybody else in the world lived any different than us. We thought this is the best of life that we could possibly have, living with nothing. So a few years into it, when communism fell in 1989, I remember just going out on the streets and everybody's parading and screaming and yelling and saying, freedom, freedom, we're finally free. We had no idea what freedom meant. Everything turned into chaos. People were destroying the buildings that the Communist Party had built, setting things on fire, protest meetings for months and actually a few years into it. Nobody wanted to go back to work. I mean, a lot of the things that were set up as a structure under a communist system that dictated your lifestyle was now broken and everybody's trying to find themselves in it and create something new with an old mindset. And I think that is a key in many people's lives when they're exposed to a great idea or something new that they're getting ready to um, start pursuing. They run with the same old luggage and their same old mindset into something brand new and then they wonder why it produces the old results because nothing's changed internally. And for Bulgaria, I mean, we have been out of communism since that particular year, and the country has not progressed as much. Um, Obviously, yes, we have seen a lot of 
progress externally if you look at it. Um, there is uh, new opportunities for some people, um, new structures, uh, buildings, um, things from the outside that have come in uh, for people to be able to purchase and live by. However, the mentality and the core mentality of uh, poor us and nobody uh, likes us or we're the poorest country in the European Union, a lot of that kind of mentality, it's not even just per person, it's over different nations that have certain mentality that they carry. It's carried throughout the infrastructure of the communities, the generations that are coming out of it. So for me... My dream was not stimulated in Bulgaria at all because nobody knew how to dream. The word dream was not was not even existent in those days. Wow. Um, I don't even think anybody ever got up and said, wow, my dream is to become this and that. It was more like, well, I'm just going to do it because there is nothing else to do. So I was very, very shy, very insecure. I literally fainted in front of people when I would have to get up and speak. So my teachers would come over to my house because under communism, the teachers were a part of the Communist Party and they were asked to come to your house to inspect if your house is clean, if everything is in order. You always lived with the fear of what would happen to you if you were not perfect. So perfectionism is driven out of fear, insecurity, and shame. And if I have one word to say about what communism does to a person is creates that internal shame in you to become outwardly perfected while inwardly you're completely dying. And in our society, people I got to stop you for a second. Outwardly perfected (laughs) while you're inwardly dying. Yes. Wow. You felt like a whole culture was going in that direction, like your whole culture was Oh, yes. Wow. Even today, if you go to Europe, you're going to see people dressed up like they're coming out of a fashion magazine. And you would think, how could this country be poor if everybody is dressed up so nicely? But I think that a lot of times a culture, because it's driven through shame internally, tries to portray the perfection on the outside, that no matter how much or you don't even may have much, you're going to look good on the outside. And I am all about outward appearance, looking the best that you can um, out of the security and of who you are from the inside. But Mm. when it's only a shell from the outside, the inside has nothing to offer. There is no internal change. And you see that in the way things are created and they may fall apart because there is no sustainability from the inside. Now, for me, coming to the States, you could imagine all of the insecurities that were facing me right away. I come from a culture that is very, well, it was very family oriented because we relied on our families for strength and for comfort because we had nobody else to rely on. So I come from a a family where they were everything in my life to a culture in America where it's very independent and self-driven. And yes, you can put your mind to it and you're going to achieve it. And I thought, well, I don't even know what I'm trying to achieve yet. I had a vision and a goal in my own life that I was going to travel and speak because that is something that 
I felt in my heart when I started um, reading the Bible that it's something that I wanted to do. I wanted to help people bring good news and make their lives better. Mm. And because of it, when I got here, I wanted to educate myself in that arena and because, become the best speaker, the best um, communicator in the truth and in the power of um, what I believed uh, God has asked me to do. Now, it's taken me years, but I had to work <laughs> on the inside of me yes. first to become liberated from the shame and from the fear of what everybody else said about me to being the person that I am today. And um, that's why I always tell people, you can take the elevator to outward success, or you can take the stairs to internal um, change and significance in your own life. Oh, say that again. You can take the elevator. You can take. You can take the elevator to an outward success, and it will take you there really fast if you know a few people, if you um, are connected with a, a group of achievers, and they say, "Oh, wow, we believe in you. You have a gift." Yes, let's promote you and get you out there for the world to see. Yes, you will take the elevator. A lot of people do. But what we see a couple of years later is they end up becoming um, either suicidal, they're on drug addictions, they create additional addictions in their lives because they cannot handle success. Right. Success in itself can destroy a person more than the fear of actually stepping out. Because um, the success is more powerful in a sense that it gives you the external power without your mind catching up with this is who you are. And That's a really important mind, distinction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever, ever read we, uh, Stephen Covey's work. Yes. And mm-hmm. he has a, a concept that he calls primary greatness and secondary greatness. Have you ever heard that concept before? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, primary Absolutely. greatness being your uh, your internal your character, right? The foundation upon which everything is built, and then secondary mm-hmm. greatness is you know the outward success, like you're talking about the fame, the fortune, uh, the things that people commonly refer to when they say you're successful. And he makes the argument that you know secondary success doesn't require primary success. But mm-hmm. primary success is necessary if you want to sustain anything that you get from the secondary level. So it's the same Absolutely. same concept. And I love hearing when we echo principles that are uh, similar to people who have taught us great lessons as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, for me, I've learned a lot of those principles through my own journey, but also later in life, about five years ago, when I met um, Lou Tice, um, who was... Um, He and his wife were the founders of the Pacific Institute and created a great curriculum that basically translated the uh, um, complicated psychological principles into a regular language. And I remember one time when we were actually in the elevator, we had just hosted um, some very influential people from Bulgaria in Seattle. And he was asking me, have you thought that all these years later you would actually be meeting with the prime ministers and the presidents and the people, the leaders of these nations. And I said, well, I've always imagined it later in my life that I understood, okay, this plan is bigger than just me traveling and having one little speaking engagement is about delivering 
of a nation and delivering of a generation out of their own selfish ambition into creating a purposeful life where it's um, benefiting everybody else and not just for our own. So as we were talking, he said to me, so how do you feel about this? And when I said, wow, this was awesome, and because I used it as a past tense, this was, he literally stopped me, looked at me, and he said, don't ever say this was in the past tense. Because every time you achieve something and you tell yourself that this was a one, only one-time achievement, your brain, the neuron of the brain, only assimilates it as this is really not who I am. It's not a part of me. I have no idea how I achieved it. So hopefully the next time I'll be able to do it again. So wow. when we dismiss <laughs> the current success or the current achievement is a one-time deal, and we don't uh, properly affirm it in ourselves, then the next time we're faced with something like that, we may feel like we're freaked out again. Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can get this done. Right. So what he said to me is, every time you achieve something, you're going to tell yourself, this is who I am. This is my new normal. I am able to reproduce this over and over again. And at that time, I looked at him almost in this in unbelief, like, do you think I can do this again? Well, a year and a half later, we hosted the president of Bulgaria in Seattle, Washington. And I thought, wow, now this is my new normal. And, um, <laughs> and so it, it all will almost, it's like people tell me all the time, how do you not become prideful when you are meeting with certain people on a certain level and then you have to go and, and meet somebody on the street or, or minister to somebody who has no reputation, no name, no money, um, don't you carry like a certain level of pride? And I tell them, no, it's a, it's a part of everything that I do is a part of me. I integrate it within myself. I am not just a speaker for 30 minutes and then I get off the stage and I become something else. It's all a part of my life because I've learned this through the principle that if, if when you create in your own mind to embrace every success, everything that you do as this is who I am, this is a part of me, then your mind no longer distinguishes it as, wow, I'm just now going to be this puffed up, prideful person. No, it just builds confidence in you and it creates the layers inside of you in a, a way that they become, um, you become more confident in who you are as a person without having to try to impress everybody else. Wow. That's awesome. Because of the adjustment that happens in your, inside of your mind. Yeah. I mean, and I'm a big, I'm a big proponent, uh, especially with all of my personal clients, but uh, you know, also in, I wrote it in my book that identity is the major foundational force that's going to determine your success, uh, your achievement, your destiny, if you will, in life. And you're basically echoing the exact same thing. And the mm -hmm. story about you and Lou and that uh, that moment that you guys had about you know him making sure that you were absorbing it into who you were and not putting right. it off to some future time and place, but it's who you are now. It's truly mm -hmm. an awesome story. So I guess a question I have from that would be, 
if identity, you know, uh, determines your destiny, determines your success, determines your achievement level, accomplishments in life, then what are, you know, three qualities that you feel have been the biggest proponents of your achievements in life? I mean, you've you've founded a nonprofit, you've you've navigated your way through a, a different two different countries and two different systems of governments in your lifetime. You've uh, written, coming up on your fifth book, you know, you've traveled and spoken all over uh, the nation. Uh, what, you know, what are the things that make Saitsi successful? What are the, like, the top three things that you feel like are the part of you that really are indispensable and the parts of you that you feel really make up uh, the person that you are? Wow. Okay. So I would say number one would be my um, childlike faith and trust in God because I really have nothing else to rely on but God in my life. And when I say God, I mean Christ and I mean um, understanding his character, uh, abiding by his principles and understanding what my purpose was in life. I think the purpose unfolds itself, and a lot of people may not even know what their main purpose is. I always tell them this. um, Purpose and vision are actually two different things. The purpose of my life is to inspire people to never feel like limitations are going to define them, but to use their limitations to define their circumstances and to define the reality um, that they are in charge and not the circumstances, and that you can turn anything into a possibility um, if you really have that um, understanding of your purpose and the core of of who you are and what you're contributing to this earth. Now, vision... Uh, may change throughout different seasons of your life to accomplish that purpose. So our vision is progressive, where our purpose is internal. It's like always is going to be us. Got it. So um, I have learned in my life to adjust my vision with the different seasons of my life. So in some seasons, my, my vision may take a different form. I may be needing new people, and my purpose may be fulfilled through other people. And see, I think that's where a lot of people make a mistake, that they always feel that they have to be the only one seen in order for a purpose to be fulfilled. I look at it from a level of if you have a core um, goal and a purpose, then you bring all of the right people into it, and let's fulfill it together, and doesn't matter who takes the credit at the end. So I would say faith is number one. Humility has to be a part of who you are. I mean, I, I um, have learned over the years that if I do not walk in humility, then what my knowledge may bring to somebody where I can empower them, if I am not for, um, portraying the information through humility, I will scare these people off and they will be running away from me because I would either be too aggressive or too mean to them. And that was a part of the adjustments that I had to make in life. At first, 
because I came from a very defensive culture, you had to defend yourself on every single step of the way into a very competitive culture in the United States. I felt like everybody that I would talk to, I would come in with all guns blazing. Oh, no, you're not going to destroy me. I'm going to show you who I am. (laughs) And I felt like every single day I was in a fight. No matter if anybody was fighting with me or not, I created my own fight in my head. And here's into it, learning that not every day is a battle, that (laughs) sometimes it's okay to just let people talk and walk away without trying to defend yourself. And other times when you hear a no, not to try to make it into a yes. Embrace the no because now you're more confident in who you are, that you can get another yes from somewhere else. But to know the S is in your life and not be defined by the no's of anybody else. But Mm. um, the humility, being wrapped in humility, in, in carrying knowledge and carrying power actually liberates more people than if you're just coming in and you're saying, oh, yeah, I got all of the answers for you, and you better just listen to me. Yeah, well, so, of course. <laughs> a lot of people that I have met who are in high positions try to act like that, and it's unrealistic, really, because nobody is ever going to have all of the answers all at the same time. We need one another. So uh, for me, um, humility has caused me to observe other people's lives, to glean the best out of them, and to implement it in my own life, and to also be able to give it out to other people as well. And then um, courage, I would say, and I was just actually um, thinking about it today because I was listening to Simon Sinek, and um, he was talking about how parenting and leadership are very similar because yeah, well, in parenting <laughs> right in parenting you're not going to disown your child when they make a mistake but in leadership and in some of the corporations that we work the moment a person makes a mistake they can get fired exactly and so he was trying to explain the culture that we are cultivating and sometimes it becomes very aggressive and it destroys people's lives But something that he said uh, that really got me thinking even about our segment here is the fact that he said one universal characteristic of all great leaders is courage. That it's not based on personality, it's not based on um, all of these additional qualities, but courage to take a risk because you believe in something bigger than yourself. And for me... I would say even just looking at the things that we're doing and or God has asked me to do, courage is not always the absence of fear because there are a lot of things that I do while I'm afraid. Um, but yeah. I read a statement by Erwin McManus, one of my favorite authors, and he was writing about courage being the absence of self. It's the mm. highest expression of humility. It moves us into risking ourselves for others and for a higher cause and that's powerful from the fear of what everybody else thinks of is this going to work or not because you're courageous not for yourself you're courageous for other people and for how they're going to be liberated out of you stepping out wow that's powerful stuff well that's, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> honestly, it is. I mean, that's, when you have such an unshakable 
faith and trust that the world, the you know, the, that the universe, that God is on your side, and that you can just move forward. Right. I mean, that's that's huge. And to be able to step out is. and do what you feel is right in your heart to do, and not worry about you know what's coming next. I mean, gosh, mm-hmm. that's huge. And then to have the you know the humility, like we we're talking about, the primary greatness, right? Um, to Absolutely. be able to see where you're situated in the universe and realize that you can partner up with other people and don't need to have all the recognition and the and, and everything figured out all at once and and then the courage to take a step forward and realize that fear will be present but it doesn't have to conquer you i mean wow mm-hmm. that's powerful stuff so now the it question is. i got a question for you so okay because I know you really well. So I know, and I know from being a, you know, a leader myself, uh, that there's, there are times that people don't see us where we really don't feel like, you know, things are going well. Right. Mm -hmm. And that things are stacking up against us and that we're kind of questioning, you know, why we're even doing things or what we're doing and if we're doing it right. And, you know, if we should continue and stuff like that. So, I guess a question I have for you that would summarize this would be, what do you think, what was one moment in your life when you, just a a monster obstacle, you know, a monster time in your life when you just felt like you might even give up and how did you overcome it? Wow. I have several, I call them defining moments. Yeah, definitely. And we all have those defining moments. The first defining moment for me really was the first three years of my life. That was all like one big defining moment. If I was going to really, um, um, the first three years of coming to the United States, okay. and if it was going to be either making it or going back and looking like I failed and God failed with me, or if am I just going to stick through the impossibility and really believe that the impossible is going to turn into a possibility. So a few months into my arrival, like I said, I really didn't know anybody. I was going to Walmart trying to meet people because I lived in Tulsa. Walmart was walking distance from Oral Roberts University and Victory uh, Christian Center and my housing. So right there, I'm going to Walmart to meet people and ask them if they would be my friend. Oh, wow. um, (laughs) Yes, that's how I started. I had nobody that knew me, really. And so... I'm trying to get a mailing list going because in school they told us that if you're going to be doing international missions work and raising support, you got to have a mailing list. And I thought, well, how am I going to get a mailing list? I don't even have anybody that knows me. So I started going to Walmart, the mall, different places where I could get around asking people, would you like to be on my mailing list and be my friend? Because I just need a little help right now, but one day maybe I'll be able to help you. So I started with 50 random people that I met on the streets, practically, (laughs) got them on the mailing list. And as I was walking back one of the nights, I remember looking at the Oral Roberts praying hands. They're huge. They're right in front of the um, university. And there is a two hands. It's a statue of two hands that are in a position of praying. And inside of it, there is a big light that comes through and lights them up. And so every night they're lit up and there is um, the world's um, country's banners are all around them. And so I'm looking at that picture and I said, 
here I am all by myself. God, if I died today, nobody would even know I am dead. I, I have a nobody. So as I am standing in front of it, feeling sorry for myself that I didn't want to live anymore. I was just going to give up and leave. Um, all of a sudden, I just saw myself inside of the praying hands. And literally, I felt like God was speaking to me saying, as long as you're inside of my praying hands, nothing will ever touch you because you're in my will. So as long as you just do what I've asked you to do, I will make sure that you are going to be in the right places at the right time, meeting the right people, and I will help you. And that wow. was a big defining moment for me yeah. because it was either me having an encounter with God or going back and telling everybody I couldn't make it. It was, I didn't have the money. I couldn't uh, speak the language perfectly. From that moment on, I got a scholarship um, to attend the full year. Um, it was a, a process, obviously. God literally gave me an understanding to speak English fluently. I mean, I was completely fluent with a bigger accent, obviously, but within the first few months, I was already studying and taking the tests and and then um, opening doors and platforms for me to be able to start speaking and traveling. And, you know, 20 years later, I have traveled now to um, 40 seven states in the U.S. and spoken in different places. Wow. So awesome. it has been a big miracle, but those defining moments in our life, and that's part of what the book is going to be about, they either can crush us or we can look at them later in life and say, this is what defined me to be the person that I am. Yeah. Now, um, if I may just include one more story, because... You have in more stories? Days, no way. <laughs> so when we're talking about the defining moments and how they can be used as stairs in our life to either get us down or get us up. Yeah. Um, so I've used them to get myself in both directions. Sometimes you have to go backwards in order to move forward. And other times you just keep on going forward. Mm -hmm. But um, one time when I didn't have anything to eat and I was on the bus, there was a bus in Tulsa that was coming around our street to deliver food to people who are poor. And I would get on the bus feeling like this degradation. You know, sometimes even in Bulgaria, I didn't feel that because we were all poor. But then coming here and having to be distinguished somehow in my own mind, I was distinguishing myself as the poor person that I am getting on the bus trying to get food, trying to figure out what am I going to eat next day. And I thought, how did I end up in the richest country in the United States on a bus trying to feed myself with the rest of the people who have no money? Yeah, wow. And, it's, you know, I didn't understand all of that. But if I looked at it as, wow, this is going to be the only thing I ever do in the United States, then I probably would have died in that season of my life. Mm. But I never looked at it as my final destination. I felt like this is just my stepping stone. I, I need to go through this in order to experience life that these people are experiencing. How do you feel as a person 
who is degraded in the eyes of society because of the way you look, the way um, where you're going to get your food from, and how you're defined by everybody else's opinion at that time. And I could just feel the pain of these people. But inside of me, I knew I am not staying poor and I'm not staying begging on a street. And I never really begged, but it was a part of the process. Well, years later, about 10 years later, I was actually ministering in Brooklyn, New York um, through Metro World Child. It's a big organization that reaches um, over 200,000 children a week. And we were riding the buses that were um, going into picking up um, the kids from the really um, poor, stricken families and uh, poverty areas in Brooklyn. And so I am riding the bus, getting picking, picking up these kids. And this one little boy comes from the building, jumps on the bus, sits next to me, and he smelled really bad. He hadn't had a shower in, in weeks, probably. And he looks at me, his nose is running, his face is dirty, and he says, I haven't eaten in days. And I hugged him, and I was just holding him, and he said, oh, I wish you were my mommy. I don't even have oh. anybody that loves me. And in that instant, is all of a sudden, I had this revelation, and you know how that happens? You, every dot from your past begins to connect and make sense. Yeah, I call it and, convergence moment when things converge yes, together. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm riding the bus. This boy, I don't know what happened to him all these years later, gave me something, or God spoke literally through him to me, as just looking back in my life and saying it was worth it being on a bus feeling just the way I am with, uh, like, the way this boy is feeling, but I would have no empathy or compassion for him right now or wanting to hug him because of the way he looks if I was not in his shoes in similar situation way back 10 years prior. And understanding how that invisible mentor had basically enabled me and helped me to be a person who walks in in greater compassion and brokenness for people who are struggling. Wow. That's a great story. So, yeah. That's a part of the book that I'm writing of how do you recognize your invisible mentors in Re- life. In other words, recognizing those teachers that came in disguise, right? It, absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, right now everybody is wanting to have a mentor. And I am a mentor to people, and I coach people individually and then organizationally. But nothing replaces your own mentors right. from Life your own experiences. circumstances. Yeah. Exactly. I agree with you. Wow. You know, I, I got some more. I got a couple of good places we can go here before we wrap up this, uh, this awesome stuff with you. I mean, I, I just love hearing, you know, what builds people. Uh, into the and shapes them into the person that they are today and you really do have some fascinating stories so it would it would not be a stretch uh, for anyone listening to think that your faith is the probably the most major primary component of your life right 
It is. And yet many people struggle with the idea of God or, you know, religion, spirituality, because they've, you know, had, you know, bizarre circumstances or stories uh, in their own lives that have taken place that have confused them about, you know, what... uh, possibly what God is really about or, or, or if they've had poor experiences with, you know, hypocrisy and uh, people that, you know, said one thing and did another and, and they've sort of sworn off that part of their life. But what would you say to those people who are searching now or, or maybe have lost that, that part of their life that we know is very central to propelling us forward? Uh, what would you say is the strength that you draw from your own spiritual life, and what would you suggest uh, that others also try to find in that part of their lives to help them move forward and grow uh, into the person that they want to be? Well, for me, and what I always encourage people to do is, for one, your relationship with God it should be one-on-one, not in relation to what everybody else does or think or um, their character qualities, because that's not God. That's just us humans in search of God. And so everybody is going to make mistakes, including ourselves. So my faith is not based on somebody else's faith in Christ or their strength. My faith is based on the fact that... um, I asked that God would show himself real to me because in communism, it was against the law to believe in God. So we never believed in anything. We didn't believe in a God at all. The Communist Party was God. Wow. So you you grow up in a country where there is no Christmas, there is no Easter celebration, um, there is no uh, celebration of Christ at all, and um, or any other religion, uh, right? Or any other religion, right? Yeah, everything was against the law. It was against the law to believe altogether. Wow! But here is the way I look at it: that the nature and everything around us speaks of who God is, that even in forbidden nations where um, God is forbidden to be even talked about, he will reveal himself to us. Therefore, um, if he's really real, there is no reason why he cannot show himself real to people who are seeking to find him. And I remember when I was seven and my sister had just died, and I was lying in my bed, looking through the window um, into the stars, saying to myself, I know there is somebody out there watching me. And that whoever is that out there, I'm going to um, get to know that person. And I am going to help as many kids as I can because my sister had just died. Wow. So, and that's at age seven under communism. Now, I didn't so you had know. this. You're describing this, you know, this thing that's within all of us. This hope, if you will, because mm-hmm. that's the best, most accurate way to describe it, right? That calls yeah. us to something bigger than us, even mm-hmm. though the things around us are telling us that there's nothing else, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so, and exactly. it's that, that it's when it's when the alignment of the hope. 
and then you put the power of your capability, your action, your faith into motion is when you really mm-hmm. start to see things transpire and take place. Yes. And even in those days, when we were told that there is nothing more to life than just living on this earth and then dying, I thought to myself, well, why are they so afraid if there is something else for them to tell us? Ah, because like what see, are they hiding? Any, ah, I got you. Exactly. Yeah, because anytime you have a dictatorship structure or in any given situation, somebody is trying to prevent you from believing something else or yeah. in someone else, you got to ask yourself, well, what are they hiding? Because if that's really, if there is nothing more to it, then they should be okay with just accepting this particular truth. But why not faith in Christ? I mean, Christ was the one that was forbidden to be believed in. Um, you could believe in evolution, but you couldn't believe in in creation right so um you could believe in science me, in other words you couldn't believe in right. something that wasn't provable with the observable measure i got you right yeah but now you know years into it um now i'm 16 communism had fallen and i hear through missionaries that were delivering food from germany on our street about this god and his name is jesus and i thought well wait a minute I am now searching for the supernatural. I was actually involved in all kinds of witchcraft stuff. Um, I knew how to move. Oh, yeah. I knew how to move objects. I knew how to read people's minds. I mean, all of those things that you call supernatural when you don't have anything else to do. And um, I remember doing all of those things between ages of 13 through 15. And um, I knew that there has to be supernatural out there. And because you live in that kind of a um, darkness, that's the only um, hope that you have is into a supernatural thing. But what happened to me is because I had seen that things could be supernatural, I said, okay, God, so this is how I'm going to know if you're real. If you can overpower all of this that I have seen, the only things that I have not seen is anybody healed, and I am sick, and if you're going to show me that you're real, then you're going to have to heal me first, then I'm going to believe in you. And in that moment, I had pain in my stomach, the pain left, and I was like, wow, there is a God, and I'm going to believe in him because... I didn't have to do anything else but to just ask him, and he showed himself real. So wow. I would encourage people, if you don't know that you really believe in a God who is true, who is real, that you ask him, okay, God, show me a sign that you're real. And I absolutely guarantee that he will. Wow. Well, I mean, it's one, one thing is definitely sure, I mean, uh, about listening to you is that, you know, you have, you definitely have a very strong, you know, certainty. And I think that that certainty is something that a lot of people lack, you know, moving forward. And that's mm-hmm. really key, I think, to uh, to how you operate is that, you know, when you have that strong, and all of us are this way, we all have a need for certainty, but we all create it or get it in different ways. And you're getting yours in a very constructive way you know through faith and that uh, that it's certainty that you're creating is giving you that foundational that really strong foundational launch pad to kind of jump off 
and do some of the things that some people probably only dream of, uh, but but then sort of pull back on and don't actually go forward with. So it's definitely something to be admired when we're listening to you that you have such a strong, you know, certainty, like I said, in and trust in God and that, mm-hmm. you know, your relationship with him is so strong that, you know, he's not only got your back, uh, but, you know, he's directing your path and that, you know, that, you know, wherever you go, that he's leading, that you're, you're certainly going to see good success. So, I, I mean, it's definitely something to listen to and admire about, you know, what you are able to accomplish. So I want to yeah, talk well, about one more thing. I was just going to say all of that, even faith, it starts small and it continues to be developed, just like um, we were talking earlier about like Lou telling me, yes, Lou telling me this is not a, just a one-time thing. Right. So that certainty continues to be developed in us as we progress forward every single time we see something to remember it. Because a lot of times people don't remember. Even if it's a miracle, then they forget that it's really a miracle and then they have no recall of it. I got you. Yeah, so it's how you're registering and processing and filtering your world mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's a good point. So uh, I got uh, one more line of questioning I wanted to go down before you know we talk about your you know focus and how people can get in touch with what you do. But okay, uh, it's a great question, and and the question kind of goes into this category. Um, you know, you got to give up to go up. It's the law of sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. So what are the things that you have been willing to do that have required you to give up certain things that other people haven't been willing to give up? So what are the sacrifices that you're conscious of that you have made that have given you the opportunity to go up a level higher uh, in your work and in your you know dreams, we'll say, into the fulfillment of and the realization of your dreams and your purpose and vision? What have what are the things mm. that you have given up on uh, that have you know that you've had to sacrifice consciously right. to to, right. to gain what it is that you have attained? Well, um, for me, my biggest sacrifice, um, though, it's um, it's a good sacrifice, but at the same time, it's um, a very um, heartbreaking sacrifice. Is my entire family because um, I live in a different country in order to support um, a lot of the things that we're doing in Bulgaria and abroad in other countries. So I don't get to see my family all the time. But, um, you know, when I say family, meaning my um, relatives, my um, father, my my mom passed away, and then um, whoever else is left. So I'm not married. Now, if I was married, I wouldn't sacrifice my family like this. <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure that people right. understand that there are levels of sacrifice you take, um, but not on the expense of people, per se. I got Especially you. if you are in a family marriage relationship. Don't sacrifice your marriage to achieve success externally, because that's really not going to be beneficial for anybody. Yeah. Um, but I have sacrificed in the sense of who I associate with, um, where am I seen in different um, situations. I'm invited to a lot of different things, but mm-hmm. I'm not always going to go to these places because 
I also am protecting uh, my reputation, who I am as a person, and um, certain associations, they may be um, good for somebody else, but they're not good for me. So I, I say no to a lot of social activities um, because they're not beneficial. I also say no and sacrifice um, well, I'm always on the road. So obviously you yeah. sacrifice a certain level of development of friendships, yeah. but you can find other ways of developing them. I'm always on the phone or in an email. And I got to say, you learn to over to compensate in certain areas that you're going to sacrifice um, <laughs> that so, for example, just because I travel a lot does not mean that I cannot have healthy relationships and right. friendships with people. So, in a sense, I sacrifice my own time, my body, because on a plane for many hours, there are things, you know, that other people, um, if they're at home all day, they can go and do this and that, and you're on the plane half of the day or most of the day, and you get off the plane and you're going on to a speaking engagement, renting a car, driving for hours, getting off. So um, a lot of hours, I would say, I wouldn't, I used to tell people I'm a workaholic. Now I don't tell them that anymore. I just say I'm a very productive worker. <laughs> but um, I, um, because I am single, I have um, literally a tendency to overwork myself because I always see opportunities for growth or things that need to be done. And I sacrifice that part. But after many years of learning this on the expense of my own health, I've learned not to really do that to my body anymore, to take care of myself now too. Yeah. Um, sacrifice really for me is on a daily basis. It's not a general um, synopsis of what you sacrifice. It's just decisions you make throughout the day of what you're going to put first and what you're not going to um, do or say. Um, that, those are daily sacrifices. And I think that's what makes a journey of sacrifice is the daily decisions we make, not just a one. Yeah. And that's a good distinction because there are a lot of, you know, a lot of people out there listening that want to attain or follow after their dream, uh, but then they quickly realize that it's going to require more of them than they are currently outputting, uh, which is that daily sacrifice that you're talking about, that daily, you know, decision making process to, you know, put the effort in uh, when other people are going to sleep, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And to, well, uh, even when I was, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, I was um, just thinking, as you started talking, that when even I was in college, people would be out partying, they would be in the mall, they would be walking everywhere, doing their own thing. And I'm at the library, reading books, watching videos of people who did something significant with their life, and studying and trying to get my English language. And I'm the only person in the entire library. And I thought every day when I was there for years, I thought, where's everybody else? Oh, yeah, they are out doing their own thing. But yeah. that's a part of the sacrifice you pay. You've got to put your uh, self into that 
um, studying situation, it's not going to just come. Um, yes, I believe in faith, but I also believe in proactively developing your own mind and your um, character and building yourself as well, because um, that's another downfall of a lot of people. They now blame external uh, failures uh, for the internal responsibility that they should have taken. So people begin to blame God. They begin to blame everybody else. They begin to blame their circumstances for something that they should have learned how to develop themselves. Yeah, that's a really good And I think that's really the sacrifice you do, is understanding what needs to be developed and taking the time to develop it. Right. Or, or, or just the energy, you know, and, and putting the, in the effort. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond what people yeah, are normally exactly. doing, yeah, absolutely. That's a good. Yes. That's a good distinction. So I, I think I'm left with one major question. I think would be, you know, an interesting thing in your story is that you know what makes you so. You know, there's a lot of things that make you unique, but coming from, you know, Bulgaria to America, um, being uh, you know, someone who didn't grow up here, right, and. Mm-hmm. But now you're here. And one of the first things that you established was a channel back home to help the people from which you came. Right. I I see that theme with a lot of uh, my foreign friends that didn't grow up here in the States but have moved here. And Mm -hmm. what do you think is unique about your American experience versus a naturalized American experience. What do you think has been unique that has given you, if I might say, an edge, uh, being someone that has come in from the outside? Uh, what what are some of the things that you find unique about your American experience? I would say appreciation of the opportunities and the freedom that we have here. Um yeah because I can see it from a different angle and I can embrace the opportunities as what it is where other people who may have grown up here, they no longer distinguish an opportunity to them. It's just a normal life. And therefore they look now at the challenges that the opportunity is giving them where I look at the opportunity with all the additional opportunities that is giving me and I don't see the challenges. I never try to search for the chance, for the challenge. I look for the opportunity. And for me, coming here and seeing, wow, you can really, if you wanted to do anything, you can do it. It is um, a place where, um, yes, there is individuality um, that's celebrated in competition and, and additional things that are not always healthy. Right. However... Um, for me personally, was understanding what I learned from Bulgaria, integrating it into the American culture and helping Americans have a better life as well. And then taking what I'm learning here and integrating it into our Bulgarian culture and how do we think more progressively and how do we make adjustments and go forward without fear. Um, and really being able to help other people and dreaming big dreams. So I've incorporated both cultures on purpose in my life. I didn't remove my Bulgarian one and just adopted the American one. I chose on purpose Mm -hmm. to take both and say I can learn the best out of both 
and take that, implement it in my own life, and give it to other people. Um, so, and also being here, I felt that when I have this opportunity to help somebody in Bulgaria, not just my own family, but also children, orphans, uh, families that are struggling, that I, I want to live my life to the best of my abilities because I know that people are always watching you and I'm not living for them. I'm living for me being the best that I can because it's also giving them a hope that they're, in, they're there, but they also can make a difference where they're at. Exactly. Um, so it was, I, I needed to start something right away because if I missed the momentum of my excitement and what I was starting in the beginning, I would have never started it because then I would have become too rational. I've done <laughs> a lot of things when I was younger that were completely irrational to a normal person that had lived in the United States and was used to a system to provide for them right. or calling a credit card company or calling a, a mom or dad, you know, when you were young and relying on them um, because you have a certain structure that's built here. A lot of people rely on the natural structure where, where I grew up, there was no structure really that was reliant. So I felt like, okay, I have to create the structure and I got to start now because by the time, if I figure all this out, I'm never going to start. Yeah, that's a so good point. For we me, do get I stuck have up a new, there, a new journey. Yes, I mean, a lot of people get stuck rationalizing themselves into why they cannot possibly do something. And we got to remember something here in the United States that we have more education than most countries in other places. That um, an average person here that goes to college and has studied has more knowledge than than people in other countries that even if they're in college they may not have the practical understanding of how to do things where here we have also the opportunity to have the practical experience right. and that's that's something to remember in our system that America was um, is a country established on certain principles, but also the practicality that comes with it, that you have the opportunities to practice what you believe. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's fascinating to hear from a different perspective, you know, what mm -hmm. the experience has been like. And I think everything that you just mentioned there is like a tiny summary of everything we've been talking about today. I mean, your core resilience and your purpose and your sense of of meaning and contribution and wanting to give back and so before we uh let go here i just want to thank you first of all for you know coming on the show and uh extending uh the grace of your presence to everyone here in listening audience and i want to thank you so much for the opportunity oh I my really, goodness really you are so welcome it. and i'm sure we'll have you back on when you have your new book finished i'm certainly uh you know looking forward to reading it myself and hearing more of these great stories that you have uh, accumulated through all the years here uh, motivated by the impossible it's a really great title for you because because the you thing so that I, I gotta tell you the thing that really sticks out to me the most after talking to you today is is there's something that you didn't highlight about yourself that i would be happy to highlight and it's something that i admire the most about you 
It's your boldness. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah, you're very bold. And we need to be bold if we want to take life in the direction that we want it to go and wrestle from it some of those things that sort of stay could stay in uh, ideas and never come to fruition and uh, you have mm-hmm. this very large boldness that that's within you that comes out and you need to be bold to you know accomplish the things that you're accomplishing but also you know it can't be understated even though you never mentioned it and you've never in my friendship with you've never once uh you know become victimized by being a female but there is the reality there you know that uh Mm -hmm. that women leaders aren't looked you know up at up to the same as male leaders and uh you've never let that stop you and because you've never let it get in your path it never really has uh because Mm -hmm. your your boldness sort of comes before you and you've not allowed that to dictate your self-worth and it's just something that's a truly fascinating and admirable quality that I've always appreciated about in you, but it really stood out when I was listening to your stories today. So I just wanted to to send you that little bit of love here before we uh, end our show today. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I even forget that I'm a woman sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> because I never look at people as in a gender um, type of a leadership Right. I I look at their character, I look at their qualities, and I admire them for their core of who they are, not if they're a male or female. I think um, gender is not really the um, an issue. Um, it is if you make it, and obviously a lot of people will disagree with me right now when they say, "Oh yeah, but I'm underpaid and." I don't have the same um, opportunities as somebody who is a male. And actually, I look at it and I say, I came from a country where, um, yes, women are disrespected in um, different levels, not always, but on certain levels. And um, I also deal with cultures that do not believe in women speakers or they would put me down right in front of me and tell me that I can't do something because I'm a woman. And I look at them straight in the eyes and I say, so if I go and I change my gender tomorrow, would you have me back? Because I would deliver the exact same message from the inside and not in comparison to my gender. So you've got to be bold enough And that's when I said, you've got to define yourself before anybody else defines you, because then nobody's no or yes defines your life. You define your life and you go forward. And when they tell you no, you just thank them and you say no means new opportunity. Therefore, thank you for saying no to me. I will find my yes, because you have built enough resilience inside of you to continue forward without the definition of society. You are awesome. That was great. I mean, I love those little tweetable moments there at the end. Define yourself before anyone else defines you. That's awesome. You're full of that kind of stuff. It's just been great talking to you today. (laughs) So where can everybody get in touch with what you do? Okay, so we've got uh, my main website is ceitci.org org basically my name. And then I have a website specifically for our nonprofit called changingageneration.net. 
So those two websites are online available for people to um, read about my life, um, the previous books that I have written, and also about our organization. As I mentioned earlier, we have children that we rescue pretty much off of um, streets, poverty, abandonment, and place in school, uh, provide for them education, um, school supplies, food, whatever is needed so that they do not get trafficked and become victims of um, that kind of a system. So we work in those three different nations, Bulgaria, Ghana, and Uganda, and um, that's one of the things that I do when I speak. Um, I'm always raising funding for those who have no voice to speak for themselves. So that's um, the information that's, that people can check work. out. And yeah, if I'm going to have. Yeah, by the way, I'm just you. letting everybody know I'm going to have the uh, website addresses for you in the show notes, so you can click on those uh, in the show notes. And I also wanted to let everyone know that you know uh, my family has uh, supported. Uh, a couple of children from uh, Saitsi's uh, Changing a Generation uh, nonprofit for years now. And it's a really mm-hmm. rewarding experience to be able to watch the children grow and thrive and, uh, you know, be able to sow into or sow a seed, as you might say, into their lives uh, that grows up into something much larger than yourself. So I would just encourage you to check out, uh, you know, being able to sponsor a child is a very easy thing to do. Can they do that on your website? Absolutely. Yes, it's $30 a month, and we have all of the information on changingageneration.net. Awesome, because it's truly important, the work that you do, and uh, that we are giving these children an opportunity through, uh, you know, the abundance of the American dollar to stretch so much further in other countries than it does here. And it's amazing that uh, your organization is able to make it stretch so far. So thank you for all the great work that you're doing. Yes, and thank you guys for partnering with me as well. And and for this great opportunity today, I'm really appreciative. Oh, well, you are quite welcome. All right, so before we go, I got two fill-in-the-blanks that I want you to complete. Are you ready? Sure. All right, here we go. I know I will have lived a full life because this is what they will say about me. I know I would have lived a full life because of the authenticity and the passion and my faith in God that I have portrayed while on this earth. Awesome. Here's the next one. The thing I want to contribute to the world is. More. More passion and more self-sacrificial love for others. The last one. One thing I wish everyone knew about themselves is that they're worthy of love that's an awesome answer thank you my friend for all of your insight on this program and i'm looking forward to uh getting connecting with you again when the book comes out thank you thank you really appreciate it
Thanks for listening. For more tips about how to create the life, work, and relationship you love, just head over to jeremyflag.com where you'll find lots of free resources and notes from this episode. And don't forget to share your comments with me. I'd love to hear your voice. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review for me in the iTunes store. If you're listening on Apple's podcast app, just click anywhere on the show artwork to reveal the show notes and click the link that says, please rate and review the show in iTunes. Your feedback is appreciated. If you'd like to continue the conversation, then please like me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter and be sure to use the hashtag create you. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining me today on create you and be sure to check in with me next time when I'll be back with another life changing episode. You won't want to miss it. So be sure to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud to get free delivery of every show. Until next time, this has been Jeremy Flagg, reminding you that you are a creator. You don't need to react to life as it happens to you because you have the power within you to create the life you love today. Now go and create you.